The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. I want to talk tonight about grief um, and the ways in which the Buddha's teachings uh, address the experience of grief. And about a month ago, I was thinking about a topic for tonight. And around that time, uh, Ken Allen Richmond having dinner with friends, old, old high school friend, dear friend, longtime friend, and his wife. And we were joking and telling stories about high school and whatnot, and the phone rang. And my friend answered it, actually his wife answered it, and her face just dropped. And what it, the call was, was that the week before their oldest grandson, who was 20 at the time, had been discharged from a drug treatment program. But Saturday night, he had died from an overdose of heroin. And their grief was just unimaginable. I mean, it was just so profound. And I thought, I, I, I feel like I need to talk about grief. And partly to as I develop the talk, just to share with them some thoughts about it, um, because they were—they are still devastated. It's just a horrible loss. So we sort of talk about grief and loss in the same breath, and grief is really derives from our experience of loss. And, and typically, the the, um, the depth of our grief is correlated with the magnitude of the loss. So I have a, a small, not very important loss, I may have slight grief. Deep, profound loss like my friend, and the grief is going to be feel overwhelmed, and at times will be overwhelmed. But it's not just about grief from death, or, or someone's death, that it, it can arise in any number of other situations. So, loss of a job, breakup of a relationship, um, a debilitating disease, uh, loss of function, loss of ability, mobility, uh, a failed business. I mean, anytime we experience a loss, which is a very personal thing, we all have our own experience of loss, depending on what we're hit with. There's no, no set way that we do that, but grief will follow. And the Buddha wisely understood this. I mean, he understood the centrality of loss in our lives and, and taught about it frequently. And I'll share with you in a few minutes some of what he taught. But it's the kind of thing that none of us will be spared. I mean, many of us have already experienced grief in various forms. We will continue to do so. Getting old and losing function, I can tell you, is a source of grief. I can tell you personally new aches and pains every so often. And then coincidentally, maybe not coincidentally, but yes, coincidentally, uh, a week ago Saturday happened. And I thought, well, you know, I felt a sense of loss, a loss of who we are in this city, a loss of a sense of safety. I know many of the counter-protesters experience some trauma. It probably has a component for them of a loss of sense of safety just a loss of idealism, whatever. Uh, it, it was just 
it was just a profound experience for this community and for all of us. And you know, as I've talked to people and talked to them about their grief, about their loss, rather, of experience of loss and that experience, there was grief was apparent. I mean, I think if we think about it, it was probably something that was part of the makeup of our response to that whole uh, ordeal that day. This is from Anne Lamott. Some of you know her. She says, quote, you will lose someone you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly. That still, still hurts when the weather gets cold. But you learn to dance with the wind. So we live with this uncertainty about loss. You never know what it's going to involve, where it's going to come from. You don't know when we're going to lose someone we love. We may know if they have a chronic illness, if they have a guy suddenly, it just happens. I'm having dinner with my friend, and just in a split second, he gets this phone call. And I think culturally, in America, we don't do a very good job with loss. Um, we deny it, we push it away, we sanitize death, we sanitize the funeral experience. Um, and that, I think, sets us up to get blindsided. It doesn't prepare us for the inevitability of loss. It leaves us very vulnerable to getting knocked off balance. And I've seen this again and again when people are just in total denial about it. the possibility of loss, and then they get slammed unexpectedly. But you know, the Buddha, I think part of the gift of, of what the Buddha taught about this was that if we fully embrace the reality of it, it really, the reality of our, our mortality, the mortality of those we love, it really enriches our life. It really calls us to appreciate every moment, every experience, not to just go on autopilot and not pay attention to the fact that impermanence is part of the vehicle. The greatest impermanence is mortality in our lives for the most part. And I'd also argue that grief really opens our hearts. It really is a way of cultivating compassion. And in a little while I'll talk, I'll talk more about that but it can really sort of strip us of our defenses. I mean, it's, it can be very raw, but it's also very hard over. Some of you may know of Michael Stone, a Buddhist teacher from Vancouver who recently died. And he said, and this is a quote, if grief is deep and imponderable, it is because love is deep, deep and imponderable too. The world presents us with opportunities for connection. And the flip side of these is the impermanence of opportunity. The Buddha taught that at bottom, the more we love that which we lose, the more grief we feel. There's that magnitude. 
The world is living and dying, full of birth and loss, tragedy and change. It is the first truth that runs like a tragic thread through all of our lives. You know, as small children, when we first learn of death, probably, you know, age two or three, um, it's confusing. We sort of don't understand it. We don't understand the permanence of it. And as, as we started in preschool, you know, there's a little more understanding of it. I, I was with my mother. I was six years old. I remember when she got a phone call that her father just died. And she just began to wail. You know, I, had, I had no idea what, what was going on. It was frightening, actually. Uh, but it got really imprinted that experience in my brain. That, um, as a child, we, just, we don't get it, really. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really register. And as we go through our developmental phases, we become more and more able to see the reality of it. You know, kids will often think it's reversible or they'll see a cartoon and because Wiley Coyote or the Roadrunner gets up and runs after he's, you know, dropped the bomb on him, it doesn't have that sense of permanence. And it's terrifying for a child. Well, for a child to lose a parent, a young child, it's just a devastating development I've seen people like that over the years in treatment, and, and, and terribly, that's just left a huge gaping hole in their psyche and their experience of life. So that's sort of our early experience in Western culture and our conditioning about death, which I would argue again is fairly sanitized, and there's an awful lot of denial that goes with that topic. Whether we're talking about death and grief, what, how we grieve, how we distance from the person who's dead, um, all of that is, is an issue. But again, how do we live fully if, if we don't accept the inevitability of loss of death, loss of the company, loss of, of, of our own mortality and those that we love? I mean, it's just, it's just a very central theme in Buddhist teaching. So contemplating the death of those we love and, and, and feeling that possibility of that tremendous grief, it really cuts through the small stuff. It really brings us face to face, I think, with what matters. You know, the, the, to be human is to be vulnerable. To be human is to live with the uncertainty. To be human is to live with the impermanence. Do we not risk loving others because we don't want experience of loss and grief. I mean, I've known people like that. They won't get close because they're so terrified of loss. And, and life just becomes a, a dull gray experience. One of my favorite Buddhist parables, and many of you will know this, is the, um, the parable of the mustard seed. And it's written that during the uh, Buddhist time, uh, there was a woman named Kisa got a maid. And she married young and gave birth to a son. And one day the child became ill and died. And she loved this child deeply. And she refused to believe that he was dead. She carried him around the village. She carried him around his horse. Asking everybody if they could please bring him back to life. And the villagers all saw that the child was dead and that nothing could be done. And they advised her to accept his death and go ahead and arrange for his funeral. But she, her grief was so great she couldn't do that. 
it said that she fell upon her knees and clutched her son's body close, close to her and uttering for him to wake up. So a village elder took pity on her and suggested that she consult the Buddha who happened to be, happened to be in the area. He said, we cannot help you, Kisa, but you should go to the Buddha. Maybe he can bring your son back to life. She was extremely excited about this possibility. So she immediately went to the Buddha's, where the Buddha was staying and pleaded for him to bring the child back to life. And he said, Kisa, I have a way to bring your son back to life. And she said, my Lord, I will do anything if you can bring my son back. But he said, if that's the case, then I need you to do something for me. I want you to go to each house in the village and bring from that house a mustard seed for every house where there hasn't been death or loss. So knock on every door, and for every door that you knock on, if that house has had no loss or no death, get a mustard seed from them and bring it back. That's what we need to do to bring your son back. So she had great faith in the Buddha's teaching, and so she went from house to house trying to find the mustard seed. And house after house, of course, no one had been spared. So she went on and on. She went to the second house. The husband had died. The third house, an uncle had died. She kept moving from house to house. And every house, someone had lost a family member. So she began to realize that there's no one in the world who had not experienced or would not experience loss. And she understood then that death was inevitable and a natural part of life. So, she put a, so the story goes, she put aside her grief, buried her son, and became a follower. And in the teaching, the experience of that, which gave her some spaciousness on this issue and allowed her to see it in perspective, to see that everyone has to deal with this, and she was certainly going to be no exception. It was a profound teaching for her. This is from a book entitled Bearing the Unbearable by Joanne Cacciatore. She says, quote, We may never accept that our child, or parent, or spouse, or grandchild, a friend, our loved one has died. But we can learn to accept how we feel about the loss. Where in us the pain is most acute, its dimensions, its texture, its tenor, its depth. And over time, grief can morph from a dreaded, unwanted intruder to something more familiar and less terrifying, even a companion he goes on to say, make no mistake, losing someone we love deeply changes us, inescapably and for all time. And it is painful beyond all imagining. The late psychologist Rollo May wrote, one does not become fully human painlessly. It is through inhabiting often painfully our emotions that we are able to become fully human. The whole range of human. But through grief, we can experience an alchemical transformation that cannot be contrived, hastened, or imparted by others. So over the last decade, I experienced a lot of loss. My father died, two of my oldest and best male friends, one here and one in New Jersey, died of terrible cancers. One of my oldest and dearest female friends died. 
also cancer. My mother died a year ago, June. Three years ago, my beloved dog Kona died of a terrible tumor. And in each case, my inclination, my initial reaction was to push it away. To push away my sadness, to push away my confusion, to distract myself, to find a way not to think about it, to push away my hurt, to push away my sorrow. I just, I couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't face it. It was too much. The cumulative effect was just, was just weighing me down. And I just thought I was going to be crushed by the sorrow of those losses. But interestingly, as I said earlier, the paradox of loss is that it opens our heart. It strips away our protective armor, whether we want it to or not. I mean, I just felt like it was raw. Every part of me was raw. And as I went back to the practice, convinced myself after and talked to some teachers who were helpful to, to lean into my experience of loss, to not avoid it, to not run from it, to not deny it, to accept my feelings, as strong and as painful as they were, and just to relax into that stream of experience, just knowing this is the deal, this is what you have to, have to face. I really felt the lightning, my load had lifted. I was still very sad, I was still grieving, but I didn't have that sort of closed down, locked down, tightness. And, and it was such a heart opening experience. I just felt this tremendous amount of, uh, of freedom from, from the heart opening that came from that. And I think this is consistent with what the Buddha has talked about. If we, if we face it down, if we welcome all experience, it really makes it something we can hold and, and, and be with. That if we run from it, push it away and we pay a huge price for it. We get sick, we, you know, we, have, we get into what's called pathological mourning. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And our culture really doesn't support us doing that. This practice does, but this practice is just a tiny part of our larger culture. I mean, I think we're very fortunate to have, you know, we're not just telling everybody, oh, get over it, you're leaving the heaven someday, which is, which is one point of view. We're saying, well, right now, there are ways to embrace this experience, to be open to it, to feel your heart open in your grief. In other words, I collected no mustard seeds. You know, I wanted to turn away from it. I wanted to ignore it. But if you face it with compassion without judgment, it really does open it. It's very easy during a period of grief to fall into self-judgment, to really clamp down and get into controlling ourselves. But that's really not, not going to be beneficial. Lao Tzu, the Taoist, says, Life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. So we talk about acceptance throughout the teachings in terms of our practice. But it really does make us more resilient. It makes us more able to embrace all experience. If we, if we fall into emotional rigidity and inflexibility, I mean, that's, that's a surefire way that we begin to experience it. Trauma, psychological problems, physical problems, 
with acceptance, we don't waste energy avoiding things. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of effort it takes to push stuff away, to push difficult or painful things away. As we, as we do in our meditation, we welcome whatever comes up. This is from Pema Chodron. She says, when things fall apart and we're on the verge of we know not what, the test for each of us is to stay on that brink and not concretize. The spiritual journey is not about heaven and finally getting to a place that's really swell. In fact, that way of looking at things is what keeps us miserable. Thinking that we can find some lasting pleasure and avoid pain is what in Buddhism is called samsara, a hopeless cycle that goes round and round endlessly and causes us to suffer greatly. The very first noble truth of the Buddha points out that suffering is inevitable for human beings, as long as we believe that things last, that they don't disintegrate, that they can be counted on to satisfy our hunger for security. From this point of view, the only time we ever know what's really going on is when the rug's pulled out and you can't find anywhere to land. We use these situations either to wake ourselves up or to put ourselves to sleep. Right now, in this very instant of groundlessness, is the seed of taking care of those who need our care and of discovering our goodness. So again there, she's talking about acceptance, about opening to the experience. I knew as I was sitting there with my friends, I could see the initial reaction. He just wanted to pull down. He immediately began talking about, well, we've got to plan this, and we've got to call this, and we've got to take care of all these funeral arrangements. I mean, he was, he was really avoiding the extent of his grief. And only later did he just sort of get hit with it. And I think to some extent he was able to, to embrace it. This is from Hafiz, the uh, 14th century Persian poet called Deepening the Wonder. He says, death is a favor to us because our scales have lost their balance. The impermanence of the body should give us great clarity, deepening the wonder in our senses and eyes of this mysterious existence we share and are surely just traveling through. If I were in a tavern tonight, Hafiz would call for drinks. And as the master poured, I would be reminded all of life, that all I know of life and myself, is that we are just a mid-air flight of golden wine between his pitcher and his cup. If I were in the tavern tonight, I would buy freely for everyone in this world, because our marriage with the cruel beauty of time and space cannot endure very long. Death is a favor to us, but our minds have lost their balance. The miraculous existence and impermanence of form always makes the illuminated ones laugh and say. So yes, being with grief is, is terrifying and painful. Yet when we live with our grief honestly, when we embrace it, it has that mysterious power to really deepen the meaning in our lives. It really does focus us. It really does help us not sweat the small stuff. And this is really the gift and the curse of grief. I mean, it's, as painful as it is, it's, it's, it provides a freedom and an opening that I think probably no other experience provides. 
So I want to close tonight with a poem, one of my favorite poems from my favorite poet, Harry Oliver, which I think really expresses the freedom from embracing uh, the uncertainty. You may know this. It's, it's actually um, read this at a couple of the funerals of the folks that uh, talked about. It's called When Death Comes. When death comes like a hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps his purse shut. When death comes like the measle pox. When death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through the door full of curiosity wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was a bridegroom taking the world into my arms. And when it's over, I don't want to wonder if I made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this morning. Before I end, I just wanted to, I just got this, so uh, it's uh, Frank Rostowski, he, he founded the Zen Hospice Project. This book had just come out, The Five Invitations, subtitles, What Death Can Teach Us About Living Fully, and uh, so far it's terrific, the reviews have been great, so I don't, I don't get any commission for that. <laughs>